Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's conversation with one of the best, but also maybe one of the most unknown coaches at the college level. He is a tremendous coach at Division II Powerhouse Northwest Missouri State. I've gotten a chance to cover his teams a number of different times, and each time I come away extremely impressed uh, with his coaching style, but also his teams and how they play. Coach Ben McCollum. Ben, thanks for joining. How, how's everything going in Missouri these days? Well, thanks a lot for having me, and yeah, every, everything's going Going great here. We got everybody back on campus and, and school is starting up. And so the excitement of, of college is, is, has arrived. So we're, we're excited to get it rolling. You know, I, before we jumped on this conversation, I did a, a little bit of uh, researching on the stats of your program. You've been the head coach there for a number of years, but in particular, the last five years, you guys might have might be the most uh, successful program at the Division One or Two level. The last five years, you've won three Division Two titles nationally. One, you didn't have a chance because COVID shortened the season. But you're 159 and eight over those five years. Can you tell me what eight teams you lost to? <laughs> I, I probably can, and I can I can tell you exactly why we lost to them. Uh, you want me to share the teams that we lost? To? <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind, really quickly, that'd be great. Uh, I mean, that's a lesson for people that sometimes the losses stick with you and drive you to improve. Yeah. Um, so we lost to Missouri Southern, Washburn, uh, and then Minnesota Mankato. Um, those are three teams that we lost to. And gosh, oh, Central Missouri, we lost to them. Um, so those four teams, I believe, are the only four teams that we've we've lost to in those five seasons. I know we had one to Nebraska Kearney at one point. And I'm not sure if that's a part of those five or if that was six or seven years ago. So, um, yeah, we I could probably go through each of the losses. <laughs> After a loss, I know a lot of coaches can kind of uh, the many coaches have different philosophies on how they approach your team. With the amount of success that you guys have had and those very rare losses, what type of learning points do you try to emphasize to your team? Um, do you look at the positives and try to have them recreate those, or do you look at some of the negatives and try to coach them through those to to be learning points? Yeah, I think I think for us in particular, um, the the first part about that is when we lose, which just as of late, we haven't lost a lot. We have to make sure that that we stay positive with them and and keep them understanding that it's a process approach and it's it's really not the end of the world. You've accomplished a lot because from the outside world, one of our losses, you know, from a social media perspective, from a um, just a media perspective, is is a bigger deal than anybody else losing five, six, seven, eight games during a season, and so. You have to manage that a, a little bit. Um, we're a little bit different in our greatest uh, difficulty is handling success and maintaining that process focus because what I've learned is when you lose one of those games, it's it's pretty easy to come back and be great that next game. It's pretty easy for a couple of weeks because that, that natural external motivation is there. And, and so you can get yourself back up. 
But how do you do that after you win 20 games in a row? How, how do you continue to improve and get better and stay process focused and, and keep guys engaged? So that is, that's the most difficult thing for us and, and probably has been the most difficult part of, of my coaching career is, is maintaining that level uh, through success. Maintaining a level of, of consistency and success is very difficult. Uh, how much pride do you have in the fact that you also played at Northwestern Missouri State and then you grew your coaching career to have the opportunity to come back as a head coach? Does that give you more pride? And then does that also give you maybe a little bit more pause as coaching opportunities come up in the future? Because you're a young coach. You've had tremendous success. I'm sure a lot of people are interested uh, in maybe having you direct their program. Yeah, you know, I, I don't necessarily think the, the only pride that it would give me is just I played for my old head coach and 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 I want to continue to uh, improve and and make the program better and better and better. The pride that I feel is when kids graduate and they're successful because of the things that that they learned in our program. That that's really the only pride that 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 we feel throughout and um, I think if you get too prideful in the in the program as a whole, I think again you lose that that sense of process. Uh, for me, the difficulty of of trying to get something else, uh, a different job or a different challenge, is I have a pretty good setup here. I've got a great quality of life. I've got a lot of autonomy. Um, so the right position would have to be something very similar at a little bit higher level, where you where you get the same or greater platform to make a difference in kids' lives. And, um, at this point, that hasn't found me and, and I haven't found it. And, um, you know, so I maintain the level of loyalty that I have here. Sounds a lot like Coach Few and his approach um, throughout his time at Gonzaga. I played for him early in his career and now obviously he's gotten Gonzaga to be one of the elite programs. And he's had programs in, in schools chase him in the over the years, but he's had very similar comments to you is I love it here. My family likes it here. I can do all the things that I want to do here. Uh, and so he hasn't left, but I see a lot of similarities with when I watch your team play, as I do with Gonzaga, the willingness and the ability to share the basketball, make plays for others. Um, what, what are some of your stronger emphasis points that you teach your guys? Because like I said, I love watching you guys play on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, you know, from a, from an offensive perspective, I, I mean, a lot of it is just really playing towards who you are as a player. And so our big, I guess, quote for offense um, is just literally just be who you are. And so we place a, a great deal of emphasis on um, if you're a shooter, shoot a lot. If you're a driver, drive a lot. If you're a cutter, cut a lot. If you're an offensive rebounder, do that. And stay focused on the things that you can be great at, whether it's one or two things. Just be great at those one or two things. Then naturally, everything kind of molds together um, in respect to that. As far as the program as a whole, we're we're big on on being unselfish. Uh, we're big on them understanding you're not here at Northwest Missouri State or even in this world for that matter for yourself. You're here for other people and to improve their lives. And really placing a, a huge emphasis on that and trying to live that lifestyle as a coach and, and our whole coaching staff understanding that as well. And I, I think that impacts us on the floor, especially offensively, um, helping our kids understand 
you know, we're here to make somebody else better. And, and, and naturally they do that when they play the game. I really like that. Be great at what you're already good at. And I think the best coaches understand that and then put those pieces together. When I've watched you guys play in the past, your roster is built with those guys that you mentioned. I, I remember watching a, a couple players where literally, I think if I remember the statistics right, maybe on the season, 285 of their 300 field goal attempts were from beyond the three-point line. I think um, it was even more than that, yeah. Was it? <laughs> it was like, I think they only took three twos the entire season. It's actually my current assistant who's, who's really good. But yeah, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> well, no, it's it. I mean, but it, it strikes me as you find somebody that has a tremendous skill set and you value it. And then they kind of really grow into that and, and cherish the role that they can provide for the team. But you've also had tremendous point guards um, that maybe were overlooked at the division one level because they didn't fit the eye test. They were smaller, but they were tremendous as far as creating opportunities for teammates and themselves because they were so skilled when you're out recruiting, what are the kind of non-negotiables that you see? Non-negotiables from an intangible perspective would be, um, you know, I guess we probably have one really, and that's we don't take moody kids. We take kids that are in good moods, and and it sounds, I don't know, kind of fairy tale ish, but but we're big on on happy people, and and we can do a lot with guys that are in good moods consistently, that want to be there, that want to get better, that want to excel, and and we kind of defined it like that is is really assess how they come in to practice every day. From a tangible perspective, I think this would probably be um, similar to, to uh, Gonzaga or some of the better programs is, we wanna see if a kid can play basketball or not. And again, sounds very simplistic, but I think too often on the recruiting trail, people get to where, okay, how long is he? How high can he jump? How does he move his feet? How does he shoot it? How does he do this? How does he do that? And they forget that at the end of the day, he has to play basketball. And, and can he play or can he not? Once we get past, can he play basketball or can he not? Basically, does he have a feel or does he not? Then we move on to, okay, now we assess um, what would be the, we say concepts first, precision second. So now we, now we assess the precise things, whether it's, um, you know, are they long enough for our level? Are they athletic enough? Can they shoot it well enough for our level? Can they do some of those precision things that we need done because um, we've already figured out that they can play basketball. We've already figured out that they have the right personality to fit us. Um, and so now we add the, the the precise things. What's the biggest misconception about Division II basketball? Because I've been able to cover the, the national tournament um, about three or four different occasions, and I've come away absolutely impressed um, with just the talent level and, and the, the, the skill set of teams in the final four. What, what do you think is the biggest misconception? You know, I, I think that um, probably similar to all levels is you have what you, I guess you could call them high major division twos, and you probably have some low major division twos, if you will. And, and those high majors are, are shockingly different than um, just a casual div division two, you know, and, and uh, for us, I think your high major division twos would probably be comparable to a mid-major type of level. And I think the benefit with, with us is we have kids that stay four and five seasons. 
And so we continue to grow and continue to get better. Whereas at, you know, whether it's the high major level or now mid-major level, um, mid-major is getting poached and so is low majors. And, and so um, at a high major level, some of your best players are leaving, you know, within one to two seasons. So you don't ever get a really developed at camaraderie. So you're really dependent on just strictly talent. Whereas for us, we've got four and five year guys. The coaching at this level um, is phenomenal simply because you have to coach differently based on the kids that you get because we don't necessarily always get to pick our players. So if, if I'm recruiting um, a kid and then all of a sudden a low major offers him, generally that low major is going to beat us out regardless of the relationship. It's just how it works. And so we don't necessarily get a pick. Okay, I want, you know, seven or eight guys that can really shoot it that are six, eight and above, and then, you know, two or three stud point guard. You know, we just don't get a pick that. So you have to coach differently per team. Um, and I, I think that at the Division two level, uh, you get a lot of that extra coaching that you have to do. I know a lot of Division two uh, programs are able to schedule Division ones uh, early in the non-conference. Uh, what are some of the Division ones that you've scheduled over the years, and how competitive are those games? Because I believe you guys have won quite a few of those. Yeah, so we don't get to play them anymore. <laughs> they won't play us. <laughs> we, uh, we don't play Duke. Duke played us, uh, so they usually play the national champions, and we played them. We played them twice now. The second time. Uh, we played them would have been 2020 season um, and we lost to them uh, by six um, at Duke. And so uh, we played UMKC for a while ago and we beat UMKC. Um, um, we just don't get games like that. So Duke's the team that would play us. Uh, they, they, you know, and I wouldn't either if I was them. I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a high level division one program, even though Duke's going to beat us, 19 times out of 20, you know, when you play them within six, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we're not going to play. We're not going to risk that. Uh, even though we'll probably beat you, we're not going to risk that. So we just don't get those games anymore. Yeah, Duke's uh, an amazing atmosphere. I've had a chance to be there uh, as a player for a practice. Um, and I called a game this past year on radio for Westwood One Radio. Unfortunately, there were no fans there. What type of uh, – excitement level did you and, and the kids in your program have for that because that's one of the iconic gyms in all of college basketball yeah it was it was this cool of experience I've actually played at Gonzaga once I didn't get a play but it was when we were at Emporia State as an assistant because I was under David Moe uh, that was pretty cool experience as well um, but when we go out there they treat you I mean they treat you as good as you know a team can treat you um, and then coach coach K was phenomenal as well. I mean, he he took me back to his office. I got to pick his brain for an hour and a half and then um, ended up getting to play them. It was as loud as it gets. Um, you know, when the game starts, the crowd's into it and engaged. Uh, when we cut it to, I think we cut it to four or five with, I don't know, maybe 40 seconds left. I can't exactly remember. And and the student section got a little bit silent and, and they got a little bit concerned. And so that was kind of neat. Um, but it was it's just an absolute blast and our kids love it and you get to play in a big time environment against big time players and big time coaches. And um, it's definitely a neat experience. Awesome. Well, last question, coach, before I let you go, we really, really appreciate the time. Give us an outlook for this season. Obviously, I talked about the last five 
Um, you've been 159 and eight over those with three Division II titles. One of those titles ended with a perfect 38 no season. Um, give us an outlook for this season. Uh, well, we have we have everybody back except for one, um, and the one transferred to uh, to Creighton for his I guess COVID season. Um, so everybody back. Um, we recruited two freshmen, and then we had two freshmen that were waiting in the wings that'll be really good for us, hopefully this season. So um, I think we could end up being okay. Obviously, we've got our two guards back. Uh, both are, are really high-level kids. And then um, they were on our 2019 national title team as well. Uh, they were freshmen then. Now they're going to be, I guess, seniors at this point. So I think we should be okay. Just got to, you know, again, stay process-focused and, and not get ahead of ourselves and just continue to grow and get better. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time. I also like how you were really humble with the comment there, just saying that we'll be okay. Uh, because every time I've seen your team, you've been pretty dang good. So yeah, no, we we try to we try to maintain that level of humility. I, I think when you get too too carried away with the the ego piece or just you know overexcited about success, I think again you lose that process piece. And so we we try to maintain that level of humility and and um, really try to get better every day. Well, thanks again. I appreciate the time and, and hopefully our paths cross again where I'm calling uh, Division Two games at the title level. So uh, congrats on everything. Best of luck this season. Appreciate you joining. Thank you, sir. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.